Welcome to the Dwelling Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Our hopes is that this message inspires you and builds your faith today. Oh, come on, church, right where you are, just begin to tell Jesus how much you love him. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. In your own words, just lift up your song to Jesus this morning. He's the only reason we're here. Jesus, we love you. Palm Sunday. He's worthy of our love this morning. Tell him, Jesus, we love you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And see, that response, us to him, that has always made sense to me. Of course we love you, Jesus. You're good. You're perfect. Of course we love you, Jesus. It's his response to us that has always confused me. And his response is always, I loved you first. (laughs) And I don't know what to do with that sometimes other than just praise him and sing thanks to him and give him everything, every part of me. So let's just do that one more time. Jesus, thank you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. One last shout of praise for Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you, worship team. Give it up for our worship team, guys. Thank y'all so much. Y'all lead us so well. Come on, before you have a seat, high five three people you've never met before. Are you excited this morning? It's a good day. It's Palm Sunday. That means Easter's next week. Two services. What time are the services? Awesome. Hey, if you're new here, um, my name is Christian, and my wife and I get to lead a community group here at the Dwelling Church. Um, I am not the pastor. Uh, pastor Gunner is not here this week, and so he must have called a bunch of people, and then you guys are just stuck with me this morning. But little self-deprecating humor to kick us off. Um, But we're going to have a good Sunday. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. I mean, after a worship set like that, sometimes it's just like, I don't want to do anything else, you know? Uh, But we got a good word this morning. I'm excited about it, so we're going to kind of jump on in. If, um, If you're just catching up with us, the last few weeks we've been in a series called The Becoming Series, and we're kind of talking about Uh, what it looks like in our spiritual journey with Jesus, what that looks like, what deep spiritual formation looks like. And we're kind of moving into the how. 
We've been sitting in the why, what we're talking about over the last few weeks, but this week is a little bit more, hopefully practical by the end, and we're moving into the how. And uh, I think a lot of times in the Western church, we tend to get really focused on information, you know, who knows the most, who's the most intellectual, who can exegete scripture the best, who knows all the atonement theories in Hebrew and Greek and with sources, you know, and all those things are wonderful. But if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, how many of you know, this is more than just information. There's a transformation that has to happen. And, um, and I would argue that the consensus in scripture is that who you become matters a lot more to Jesus than uh, what you know about him. So in the Becoming series, we are becoming who we already are. We had the scripture up there during worship, but we are, those of us that follow Jesus, you are a new creature. And it is precisely the reason or that fact of you being a new creature of how you can become a new creature. And I know that doesn't make sense. Uh, I think Paul kind of describes this paradox a little bit better in Philippians when he says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. So we press on to take who, uh, a hold of who we already are. That is what spiritual formation is. And that's kind of where we're headed. So we'll jump in. I'm gonna pray real, real fast for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this time this morning. Thank you that you're here with us and that we didn't have to beg you to be here, but you just wanna be here with us. And Lord, we just thank you for your words and the ways that you give us to live. And I pray that our hearts and our minds and just all of our affections are just set on you this morning as we, as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Okay, are you somebody who at the grocery store, you move from one checkout line to the other? Like if it's a little bit faster, there's less people at the other one, you'll just maybe slide on over. Or maybe, uh, maybe the same thing, but driving. Like you're the person that's counting cars. Like there's three cars there, there's five cars in my lane. Let me, let me slide over a little bit to move to the, more, the faster one. Um, how about this one? Do you check your notifications while you're driving? I'm not saying answer them. Relax, calm down. I'm saying you just check it. Make sure it's not urgent. Like, is that anybody in here? On, on, I would say, yeah, I would say for the normal person, yeah. I would say for the normal person, the majority of us would probably say yes to one of those. And if you didn't say yes, then you, I think you're just a, a more emotionally healthy person than the rest of us. So congratulations on that. But for the rest of us, we might be suffering from what psychologists call hurry sickness. I didn't make this up. This is a real word, a real word. And so the questions I had just given you, that was kind of this, um, they came out in an article in 2013 in Psychology Today, and it was kind of this, um, self, uh, these questions to help self-diagnose you if you are someone who struggles with hurry sickness. And by definition, this is how they described it in this article in 2013, which came out um, by Psychology Today. Psychologists describe it like this. By definition, hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming sense of continual urgency. It's also defined as a general feeling of discomfort in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. And I read that and I'm like, I am a hurry sickness. Like, you can change my legal name from Christian to hurry sickness. 
Because chronically short of time, do I feel that way all the time? Absolutely. Do I always feel this like low-grade anxiety even at the end of my days? No matter how many tasks I get accomplished, it always just feels like there's more to do. This uh, feeling of being rushed all the time. Me and Addison always joke with people that we are the people that arrive late to things, but it's okay because somebody has to, so we just fill that role out of the goodness of our heart. So we are rushing Constantly, like all of that, that is all me. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't think this article um, came out because there's just one person who feels all of those things. And I think maybe we can be as bold to maybe make about an observation about our own culture and suggest that as a culture, as a society, we might be suffering from hurry sickness. So why are we talking about this today? Why am I reading an article from 2013 from Psychology Day on a Sunday, on Palm Sunday, uh, in a sermon? Well, it's because before, long before 2013, long before Psychology Today and modern psychologists coining this term, hurry sickness, those of us who have been a part of the church or following Jesus have been at war with, with the very same thing. We might have had different language uh, for it throughout the centuries, but it's essentially the same thing, hurry sickness. There's one author, I love the way he describes it. He says that we struggle with chronic busyness in the church. And so we've been saying this for quite some time. In fact, uh, almost a thousand years ago, there was this guy named um, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he was arguably one of the most visible and, and, and influential church figures of the 12th century. He was kind of a monk and he was the leader of this monastic renewal movement. But he said this, and this was a thousand years ago. He said, watch out for the dangers of excessive activity. Whatever the job you hold, because many jobs often lead to the hardening of heart as well as suffering of the spirit, loss of intelligence. And that was a thousand years ago. And then we have one uh, a little bit more recently. I don't know if you've heard of Dallas Willard, but he's regarded as probably one of the, the, the more prolific writers, Christian writers and philosophers of the more modern area up until his death in 2013. He said this, and this one got me. He said that hurry is the greatest threat to our spiritual life. Now, there's a lot of things I think I would have chosen before hurry. Like, I feel like there's a lot of problems that are damaging to my spiritual life, but hurry? I don't know if that would have maybe made my top, my top list, but I think maybe in this dopamine-addicted, streaming and, strolling, uh, and scrolling Amazon car, efficiency-oriented culture that we live in, right, there's, I think if we acknowledge it, we all realize like something is just a little off here. Like, and I think we all feel it maybe to some degree deep in our spirits, especially those of us who are endeavoring to try and follow Jesus in the way he lived because we're trying to adapt to his kingdom. And his kingdom you hear about uh, on sermons and podcasts, it's marked with characteristics of things like peace and love and joy and patience. I think hurry is a problem in our culture, but beyond that, hurry is a problem for spiritual formation. Because I think if we're just taking a little bit of time to self-evaluate today, hurry, um, hurry is one of those things we feel all the time. And we're not necessarily feeling the reality of the kingdom in most of our days. Most days, I feel as um, John Mark Comer says in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a bone-deep tiredness, not just in my body, or my mind, but in my soul. If that's you, there's good news. You're not alone, because I think we all feel that on most days. 
and there's a better way. And this is kind of where we're going today. And I'll, I'll throw this book up there too. This is the, the person I just quoted, John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He puts a lot of really good language to what we're gonna be talking about today. So I'll throw that up there as a resource for you guys. It's a phenomenal book. And if you wanna kind of go a little deeper into what we're talking about today, this is a good resource to start with. So this is where we're going today. We're becoming, right, unhurried. Touch somebody say, unhurried. Well, Christian, it would be better, I think, if we could talk about, I mean, that sounds great, but maybe we could talk about how to live with Jesus more efficiently. I think that would be a little more helpful for us this morning. Or maybe, or maybe we could just talk about how Jesus gives us more energy to kind of just crush it through our days. Bless you. Bless you. I love that in church. Anytime somebody sneezes, bless you. And honestly, I think those topics would be. It would be uh, amazing and, and way much, so much more convenient, I think, if Jesus, and, it, and he didn't ask me for my feedback when he was doing like the Sermon of the Mount, but if he would ask me, you know, I would have been like, maybe, maybe throw some things in here about, you know, how we can effectively get things done. Or Jesus, these days they're doing YouTube videos. I don't know if you've seen one of them. But maybe if you could do like a video that kind of unpacks, you know, like maybe the thumbnail title could be like how to get more things done better than anybody else. You know, I think that would be super helpful for us. That would be like a cheat code. But, but I'm not sure. I'm not convinced yet. Maybe you can help me that more time or more efficiency. I'm not sure that would help the problem of hurry. And I was reading um, an article this past week and I saw it. Um, and it said this, the personal, develop, personal development market around the globe in 2021 was $42 billion, with the U.S. accounting for like $13 billion of that. And you know what the largest segment of, uh, of, of that industry is geared towards? Literally a third of all of the things that they put out, books, podcasts, conferences, all of those things, the teachings, a third of it, above mental health, which was a category, above uh, motivation and inspiration, above um, physical health and self-awareness, was this category of skill enhancement, a.k.a. productivity, a.k.a. efficiency. Seems that, collectively, we would rather, instead of, uh, instead of finding 10 ways to be more emotionally healthy, we'd rather hear something about how we can squeeze an extra hour out of our day so that we can fill it with more stuff. And I think that maybe it speaks to this desire right now in our world to fix a problem we all feel. We all feel that there isn't enough time in a day. I don't know how many times a week I say, if I could get 25 hours in a day, if I could get eight days, just like once a month, if we could just do that and it would just help me catch up on the things that I need to catch up on. But I don't think that efficiency is gonna be the thing that deals with hurry if I could just do it faster. I don't think productivity is the thing that's gonna help us deal with hurry if we could just get a few more things done. And then when we look at Jesus, instead of offering some way to maybe enhance how we get all the things we need to get done in a timely manner, in a most efficient way, Jesus seems to be more interested in speaking to our limitations of time within the 24-hour day, within the seven-day week, and transforming the way we actually live that. And if I'm honest, really annoying sometimes. 
That's not the thing I necessarily want from Jesus always. Instead of him giving us this supernatural ability to have more time so that I could get to that latte art class I've been trying to go to, he seems to be wanting to try and bite us into a lifestyle that leads to love, joy, peace, patience, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness. If I miss one, I'm sorry. A life that he summarizes this way. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Who else wants that life? Life to the full. That sounds really good. And I think Jesus is extending to us an invitation this morning. And here's the invitation and our anchor for today. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Most of you know it. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think Eugene Peterson has probably one of the greatest paraphrases I've ever heard of this particular passage in his message Bible. And he says, come and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. (laughs) That's a bumper sticker, okay? (laughs) Come and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And and this is a, a verse that a lot of us grew up with. Like you've seen it stitched on a pillow. It's on wall art at TJ Maxx. Like we've all kind of become accustomed to what this verse is to the point where it's Maybe even background noise at this point. Like we hear it, it's like, got it, I learned. That was one of my first 10 verses I ever learned. I'm good there. But I think it's a reminder, of, it's a reminder for us from Jesus this morning on how to enter deep spiritual formation. And Jesus uses this farming analogy here. Is there any farmers in here? I didn't think, I feel like I had a good shot with not having it. I think there's only like 2% of America that are still in agriculture. So um, contrary to what you probably thought the whole time I've been up here, I'm not a farmer, okay? <laughs> I, uh, I didn't grow up with yokes and other farming equipment just lying around. You know, I maybe have been to an Airbnb where there was like a nice rustic decor and maybe they had a yoke or something, but I didn't really know what it was. But I do remember somebody having to explain it to me one time, probably Sunday school, shout out Sunday school. They explained it to me like this. A a yoke is this big wooden beam that are put on the necks of oxen so that he can carry heavy loads together. So because the ox couldn't do it by itself, he needs an ox friend and they have to be connected by something so that they can carry the load together. And I think that always made sense to me, you know? Okay, so Jesus is going to help pull the weight of this load in my life, whatever it is I'm carrying, because life is heavy and it's hard and it's full of those things that you just have to plow through, okay? Wordplay. Um, (laughs) And I can be comforted because Jesus is gonna be right beside me, sweating it out, grinding it out, pulling it with me. But I kind of, you read that more and more and maybe you read a book on it. Maybe you just, uh, it floats in your head one day and you start to feel a little like, what does this really mean? Because it feels like Jesus is doing one of those things where he just throws like this opposite in there and these two opposites exist in the same passage of scripture and I don't know what to do with that. And, and I, I began to like think about it. Like this just doesn't make sense here. How is 
Um, how, how is rest gonna happen? How is being, he uses other words like gentle and humble and easy and light. Like how am I gonna do all that if I'm pulling something heavy? So how is a, a manual labor metaphor lead to deep rest, okay? I don't do manual labor very well, okay? Like Jesus, I need something other than that. And Jesus, he, he does this. He, he's using an expression that is found in the first century Roman world. And it's a common expression that people would use for rabbis or teachers, which you have to remember, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. And, and it was this, um, it referred specifically to rabbis' teachings of the Torah, which was part of the Old Testament. It was simultaneously also rabbis' teachings of how to live, like just how to carry the weight of things in life like marriage and friendships and work and prayer and finances and all these things. So, so when you were wondering what the yoke of a specific teacher would say, that's what you're referring to. It's like, what did their teachings put on us kind of thing? And here we have Jesus who declares this about his messages, about his teachings. My teachings are light and the burdens they produce are really easy. Not only that, my teachings lead to deep rest. And now this is either really good marketing and Jesus is trying to distinguish himself from the other teachers there, which is genius, by the way. I would give it up to him for that. Or, or if you're convinced, like I am, that Jesus is not just a teacher, he's more than that, he's God in flesh, and that actually when he speaks, his very words contain truth. His very words lead to life. If you believe that, then he's inviting us into something this morning. A way that he declares to, be, uh, to live, which is fully human. And at the same time as that's an invitation, it can also be this litmus test of our spiritual health. Jesus is letting us know like, hey, if you are sitting under my teachings, if you're doing it the way I would, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel that much resistance to what I'm doing in your life. Like if you feel like you're always just pulling something and if it feels heavy, I would maybe suggest that I wonder if we're not doing it his way because he says his teachings lead to rest and that they're light and the burden they produce is easy. So following him this morning, you feel like you're kayaking upstream in the rapids or just upstream in general because that's enough for me, okay? If sitting and praying feels like work, if reading scripture feels like work, then I would like to suggest Jesus is here this morning and he's saying this, you're not doing it the way I would. Come and learn from me. I really think it should feel more like getting swept downstream than having to, our arms be burning, trying to paddle upstream. Okay, I'm gonna go to this real fast. Do y'all remember this board from last week. Do I remember this? Okay, I'm going to get it situated. Sorry. Okay. I had to rewrite it. I had a joke about how bad Gunner's handwriting was, but somebody erased it, so we're just going to have to miss that this morning, okay? Okay, here we go. I'm going to run through it because this is kind of where we've been sitting in in this series. 
Okay, and this is our faith journey with Jesus. If we want to break it down, you can kind of break it down into these categories. And I think, honestly, they're worth recapping this morning. So the first one, life-changing awareness. This is where what we kind of went through a couple weeks ago. Life-changing awareness. You become awake to the realities of God for the first time. Like, this is when you have those moments, and you're like, you see it. You see God is real, and you're just awake to who he is. And so it kind of leads to this Second phase, which is learning, like you become so hungry because now you know, now you're aware of who he is and, and how he is and, and his characteristics that you just got to learn everything about him. So you're, you're buying every highlighter and highlighting everything. You're downloading all the podcasts, coming to church every Sunday, in multiple churches. You're in it. You know what I mean? You're learning about who he is. And that kind of naturally leads to this because once you become aware of who he is and you begin to learn who he is. And, and, who, and what he desires and how his heart desires things, then you begin to get those same desires as well. And so you move into this one, which is serving. So we have life-changing awareness, learning, serving. You begin to see all the needs because he sees needs. And you've been learning about him and your desires are being replaced by his. And so you're, you're just starting to look around and notice that people need to be served. But then two weeks ago, we talked about this, the wall. Who remembers the wall? Ugh, right? The wall. If you're following Jesus, this is inevitable. You will hit a wall, and it can be brought on by a bunch of different things. And when you hit it, you begin to question everything else that came before it. You begin to question, was that really God? Did I really feel him in that? Is this really the best way to live, offering my life to serve people? Is, like, is this, and you just start questioning everything. And it happens to us in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's divorce. Sometimes it's job loss. Sometimes it's unfulfilled desires. Like you feel like the Lord put something in your heart, but it's been 18 and a half years and you haven't seen anything from that. Sometimes it's spiritual abuse. I've talked to so many people in this church alone, so many conversations about they either took a step back from God or walked away from God completely and they're just kind of re-entering this kind of atmosphere. And it was because the environment they were in before, uh, a person in authority or spiritual leadership over them, created an abusive environment. And they walked away from God. And they begin to question everything. But, this is what we talked about last week. If we can make it past the wall, right? If we can make it past the wall, then Jesus invites us to walk into some more things. Okay? And that's where we get to the inward journey. We ask the painful questions. We ask the deep questions. Is Jesus really good? I grew up in church. People told me that, but do I believe that about him? Because if he's good, how did this happen? If he's really good, this wouldn't have happened. And you begin to sit and, 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 and sift through those questions if you're committed to getting past the wall. Because a lot of times what happens is we'll take those and we'll disillusion ourselves like, no, nah, no, nah, Jesus is good. And we really don't believe that. And we'll push that down. And can I tell you, you're just creating a future crisis. It's where you hear those really heartbreaking stories about people that you've looked up to and have poured into you for decades. Just walk away from God. And it's a shock to you, but it's not to them. But if we will allow Jesus, he'll sift through those questions with us. 
And then that kind of moves into the outward journey. Right here, here we are. And these are very similar. They almost mirror each other a little bit in a lot of ways because you have learning and you have the inward journey and they're kind of just about you and God. It's just you and him, you're learning, um, you're asking deep questions, it's a private thing. And then serving and the outward, they begin to move out past just you and, and the Lord. And the difference here is that the outward journey or excuse me, serving, you may have been serving out of obligation or just that, that you're still hungry to, to do for God. And so you're like, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve. Uh, and it might be out of obligation or just the, you want to feel good about serving. It could be a bunch of different things. But the outward journey, you've gone through this inward journey with Jesus. And now you just begin to overflow in a selfless way that wasn't there before. And it becomes this selfless serving. And then we have this, which is, I don't know if everybody can see it, but it says transformed into love. And John Wesley coined this phrase. And this is where we see the people who become so united with Jesus, so in love with Jesus, so enamored by Jesus. They've decided there's no price too high to pay. These are the crazy folks, okay? These are the people that move their whole life across the world. And everybody's like, what are you doing? You had a 401k and you're like making 100k. What are you doing? And they're like, nope. I'm so transformed into a person of love. There was actually this period in church history. I've been really into church history probably the last year. But it was this period of, that we call martyrdom. And it was a whole period in the church history that lasted for nearly 200 years at the beginning where it was just a bunch of people saying, you know what? He's worth it. And they would die willingly for him. And martyrs, we talk about that sometimes because they still exist, Okay. We, we, we are just privileged to come in here and we get to talk about Jesus with no consequences. But there, it still exists. And we kind of use it a little bit sometimes, the word martyr, to where, you know, we don't, really, we don't really connect with it as much. But these are real people in real places with real desires. And, and there was a whole period where they said, no, we want to live a prosperous and long life just like you. But given that choice or Jesus, it's Jesus. And can I tell you, I don't know nothing about that. Okay, I don't know what this looks like, but it's my goal. It's where I'm headed. I want to be so united. So that's, that's, this, is where we, this is where we left off. And this, this is how it fits into today. Okay, so for, to some degree, okay, life-changing awareness, learning, so you can not deal with a hurried spirit over here. Okay, to some degree. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some slowing down that has to happen sometimes for us to be aware of God. But truthfully, this part ain't got much to do with us because usually in his sovereignty, his love kind of just interrupts us wherever we are. And usually we're just down here like this. And he's like, whoa, here I am. So you can still be a little hurt. <laughs> so you can still be a little hurried here. And I could probably move some things around in my schedule to fit in learning and serving and, and, and kind of like run my, run my schedule through, uh, through all the check marks. You know what I'm talking about. Google Calendar, all the good stuff. And we could kind of fit things in there. And I don't want you to hear me dismissing these things, okay? That's not what I'm doing at all. We should always be pursuing life and changing encounters with God. He loves to speak to us. Keep pursuing that. Never stop. We should never stop learning. I love to learn. I love theology. I love church history. Like, never stop learning. Can I be honest? Okay. I serve out of obligation all the time. I serve all the time just because I feel like I'm supposed to. 
But that's not my goal because what happens when I do that over and over and over is I burn out. I do it all the time and it's okay. Don't hear me dismissing it. It's okay. I just don't want to, that's not my goal. I don't want to serve out of obligation. I want to serve out of overflow. Okay, that's the goal. And truthfully, I'll say this one last time. I'll shut up. Um, there's enough fruit. If you never make it past this, there's enough fruit to last a lifetime just in those. Okay, but there's more. And the second part, this is where deep spiritual transformation begins to happen. Okay, there's no hurrying through the inward journey of our faith. Okay, the second half of last year was probably one of the worst seasons of mine and Addison's life. It was just one of those like survival seasons. You're just barely getting by. You're exhausted. You're tired. And, and we were struggling. We were struggling really hard. We were asking a lot of questions about our life. Like, is this how we want it to look? We're asking God a lot of questions. Like, Lord, is, are we still kind of going where you want us to? Like, we don't know anymore. And that was a good six to eight months. And we were asking all the questions and I sat down with Pastor Gunner. And which is side note, if you're not in a community group, get into a community group, okay? When you're in those seasons, you need people around you who are going to be able to speak into you and encourage you and tell you it's okay, he's still good even if you don't believe it yet, okay? So I sat down with him and, and I was doing a really bad job of kind of explaining where I was because usually that's how it goes when I'm in those seasons. I don't have good language for it. But he, he told me this. He said, don't try and rush past this season. And everything in me was like, uh, that's what you want to tell me when I'm bearing my soul to you, Gunner? <laughs> like, don't rush past it. Anybody seen the movie Click? Y'all remember that with Adam Sandler? Okay. I would have done immoral things for that remote control, okay? If I could have gotten the button to fast forward through that season of my life, I would have done it. But if I would have, I would have missed out on some deep formation, some deep spiritual things that the Lord was trying to deposit into my life. And it's become, it's made my life more satisfying. It's made it richer. I've become a better husband, a better man. Like I'm telling you, this, this is where you begin to mine for the gold, the inward journey. Don't rush past it. We cannot hurry to become people transformed into love because love and hurry are incompatible. And John Mark Comer has this really honest quote in his book when he says, all of my worst moments as a father, as a pastor, as, um, as, a, as a husband, even as a human being are when I'm in a hurry. And I find that to be deeply true in my own life. And I'll add on the seasons where I know there's distance between me and God, and I know that there's this gap. I can look back and, and identify like, oh, I was really busy in that season. I was hurrying through a lot of things. Okay, how about this one? This one hurts a little bit. The great C.S. Lewis, he said something to the effect of this. How you respond to interruption is who you really are, okay? <laughs> that one got me because I'm like, when someone cuts me off in traffic and I get stuck at a light that I was going to make it through and now I'm delayed three minutes, my response, that's who I really am? 
that's not a good look for me, okay? I'm just letting you know, that's not the person that I want to be, okay? One last one here. Paul, in his famous definition of love that he gives to us in the letter of church at Corinth, if you've been to any wedding, you've heard it. Paul says this, love is patient. And patience is the first thing Paul attaches to love in that series. You can't hurry through the inward process. You can't hurry through the outward journey in your outward service towards people. Have you ever tried to love people quickly? Okay. <laughs> Imagine trying to love someone through the lens of efficiency. Like if I took Addison out on a date and like a good date, you know, like we made reservations. I put on my Tim's. She's wearing a dress, like that whole thing. And as soon as we get there, as soon as we get there, the waiter comes up and is taking our drink order. But we're like, we already put in our entree order. We go ahead and put in an appetizer order, drink order, all on the first visit. And then I pull the waiter to the side. I'm like, hey, if you don't mind, could you go ahead and get some to-go boxes and the check? I'm trying to date her quickly and efficiently, okay? It don't work that way. If it does, it don't work that way for long, Okay. <laughs> Because you don't have time to love people and meet people's needs when you're in a hurry. To deal with people's mess when they interrupt you with it. But if we can, if we can make it here, they don't feel like interruptions anymore. They just feel like overflow. And I'm becoming this person more and more. Like, Because if I'm in a hurry, an hour-long phone call that I didn't have planned because someone needed to call me because they're struggling with something... Or, or I need to go get uh, coffee with somebody because they text me last minute. Or I found, out somebody, um, I found out somebody's just going through a lot right now. And I was like, let me just make them dinner one night so that eases their burden a bit. Those things go all the way out the window when we're hurried. Or best case scenario is you do those things, again, out of obligation and you're kind of annoyed about it. And what if God wants to interrupt our day? I'm willing to bet that if you and I are in a hurry, we'll move right past him. Thomas Merton, who was this um, uh, a prominent monk in the, in the 1900s, like a more modern monk, and he was a writer, and he commented on our tendency to be frantic and busy in our relationship with God. He said that many people fail to make progress in their spiritual life because they are attached to activities and enterprises that seem to be important. And then he finished with this. They work themselves into a, a state in which they cannot believe they are pleasing God. They cannot believe they are pleasing God unless they are busy with a dozen jobs at the same time. It's impossible to live spiritually healthy lives in a hurry. So what do we do? How do we slow down so that we can be transformed into people of love. I think it's really simple. We can adopt the rhythms, the ways, and the life of Jesus. We can see how he lives and take him up on his invitation to do the exact same thing. It's what a lifestyle of following Jesus looks like. And now we will call, we, we tend to call when we do that in the church, we'll call that spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation or spiritual habits, whatever language you wanna put to it. And I know that some people feel like spiritual disciplines, that language is like super religious-y and it can get focused on the wrong things. And, and that's very true. 
You can get focused on the wrong things because spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. They're not the end themselves. So we got to be careful about that. But they can also create room and space in our life for deep spiritual formation. And this was, uh, I'll say it like this. Has anyone ever, anyone ever been to a vineyard? Okay. Everybody's looking around like, you're not fitting to catch me slipping in church. <laughs> have you seen, okay. Have you seen a vineyard in a movie? Okay. Yeah. We all know, we all know what a vineyard looks like. When you go, when you go, you'll notice that the grapes aren't just lying around on the ground, Right. The winemakers do this for a very specific reason, okay? They, they, they put them on what they call a trellis. And now what a trellis does is it kind of gives space for the vines to grow healthy. Like it lifts them up off the ground. They're not as exposed to animals and diseases and things like that. And so that is what uh, a trellis does for, um, for, for grapevines. They make it, make it possible for the vines to produce more fruit. Sorry, I know I struggled through that one, but y'all with me, okay? And don't hear this wrong either, because grapes that grow on the ground do produce fruit. Like, they produce fruit, okay? But if we will place it on a trellis, we have the opportunity for it to produce more and more fruit and our lives be more and more transformed. That's what spiritual disciplines are, okay? Are we with, you with me? Okay, and disciplines are as simple as this. We do what Jesus did, okay? Goodbye. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, we do this all the time with other people. Like, think about it. If you look up to somebody, you'll, you'll take notes about how they do things in their day, what they did with their life, and you'll kind of try to copy and emulate it in the same kind of way. You know, like if Elon Musk wakes up at four or two and does math problems and you want to be an engineer or an astronaut or whatever he is, you start waking up at four or two to do math problems. So when so goes to a law school, you want to be just like them. So you go to the law school. You want to be a musician, this musician, y'all get the point. We rarely do this, I think, with, with how the way Jesus lived his daily life. And as apprentices of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this. How would Jesus do this if he were me? Jesus was a single male Jewish rabbi who lived in the first century. Jesus was not a graphic designer or a stay-at-home mom or a photographer or uh, or married or went to an office job. He wasn't those things. So we have to then ask ourselves, how would he do those? Like, how would Jesus be a mother? How would Jesus be an art student at a school? How would Jesus be a photographer? How would Jesus, whatever it is, this is, this is how we begin to look more like him. We ask ourselves those questions. And it's simple, but I promise you it's one of the most effective things you can do. And I don't know if y'all have been around this last week. Olivia Foote has been giving out these little bracelets. Yeah, she's probably given out, I don't know, probably over 100 at this point because she just said she had to re reload some more. But it just says WWJD. Y'all know what that means. Yeah, it's simple, but it's effective as we try to follow Jesus. Uh, Andrea, you can come back up for piano. We're gonna finish up, I promise. I know y'all are hungry. And I know this has been a little bit more big picture, and I'm gonna end with some practical things because I don't want us to leave here without having some practical things to put into our lives on how to be unhurried. 
And we're just going to cover, um, we're just going to cover one of those today because uh, it's really all we have time for. And that's probably, but it's, it's the one I think is probably the most important when we're trying to unhurry, which is, um, which is silence and solitude. It's something that Jesus practiced throughout all four of the gospels. He often got away to be with his father. The busier Jesus got, you can kind of track this in scripture a little bit. The busier Jesus got, the more he got away to be alone, to a place of silence, to a place of solitude. On Jesus's first day of ministry, it was a busy one. He just came out of the desert and his first day, after 40 days of being in the desert in silence and solitude, he, he, he goes... He goes and does all these things. He, he teaches at the synagogue. He casts out a demon. Peter's mom is sick, so he goes and heals her. Everybody hears about it. The whole entire town comes to him, and he begins to heal everybody until well past sunset. A lot of introverts are cringing because that's a lot of interactions with people in one day. But it was this long and exhausting day. And what was Jesus' response when he's busy? Mark records this at the end of chapter one. He says, very early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus probably had just a couple hours of sleep. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And this just wasn't for Jesus to do. Later in Mark chapter six, Jesus said this. So many people were, or Mark records this. So many people were coming and going that the apostles did not have a chance to eat. Who knows about that life? Yeah, me too. Jesus looked at them and said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You look tired. And as disciples of Jesus, he's inviting us to do the same thing. So the first thing to create solace and solitude, the first thing we have to do is distraction has to go. It has to die. We live in a society completely encapsulated in, 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 in a dopamine cycle of, of scrolling, streaming, shopping, checking, updating all, just all the things. It's just normal now. And it's not normal in the ways of Jesus. And I don't know what else to do other than just kind of be blunt because I know we are a little past time, but I'm hurrying so you don't have to, okay? <laughs> Find distraction in your life. Do whatever you have to do to get rid of it. Ask the Holy Spirit what needs to go and I promise he'll let you know. And here are just some practical ways to kill distraction. Some of these I've tried to implement in my own life because I've been on this journey. And, and some I've heard that are just good that I've heard other people do. You gotta work with, find your own rules, make it work for you. But here's just a few. Delete the apps off your phone that take your time. If you're someone who checks the news all the time, if it's 20 minutes when you wake up, 15 minutes at lunch, whatever, it's got your time, it's distraction, it's gotta go. YouTube, this was me. You, my YouTube algorithm was perfect, okay? I, it was perfect. It knew exactly what I wanted to watch. And I would, but it got in the way. So I deleted it. Games. If you don't got to be level 989 on Candy Crush. That's a lot of time, people. If it's a distraction, let it go. I love this one. I am not good at it, but we try sometimes. Put your phone to bed at night. Meaning put it somewhere where you can't reach it, whether it's 8 30, 9 o'clock, whatever that's like, put it to bed so you don't go to bed with it and you don't wake up with it. Reduce your subscriptions to stream stuff. 
or cancel them altogether. That one's hard. Delete social media or take a break from it. Reduce the amount of time. Put it on your desktop only, whatever. Take the TVs out of your bedroom or out of your house altogether. No phones at the table. Never have multiple screens going at once. You know, we're scrolling, watching TV, not engaged in either of them. For entrepreneurs, set work schedules that you don't step outside of. Create your own rule. Like I said, this isn't like a one size fits all, like ask the Holy Spirit. He'll take you on that journey. He'll let you know, figure out what is a distraction for you and come up with your own rules. Find what works. And I, I know that this might sound extreme and I don't want this to come off as religious, okay? Please hear my heart on that. This isn't about just being religious and weird and going against the grain of culture just because. This isn't about just being the weird Christians in culture. It's not about that. It's just that there is more at stake to our lives than binging Netflix, responding to emails, scrolling on TikTok. Like it's just, there's more. There's this verse in Romans 12 that says, I've been repeating it so much as I've been doing this. It's been kind of like one of those things to remind me. But it, it, Paul says this in Romans. He said, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. This is us clinging to what is good. It's grasping to life to the full, full of peace, full of joy, full of hope, full of love. This is us clinging to that. So it's not a religious thing at all. The world needs us to become people of love. And the second thing, real fast, real fast, to help us be disciplined with silence and solitude. This one's easy, but it's hard. Create space to be still in your life. And here's some easy ways to do that. Again, rules I've picked up or heard other people that works well for them. Find your own. Sabbath, this is a crazy concept. This is not just like a once a month thing. Sabbath is a full day in your week to rest in the Lord, to delight in the Lord. It's the only spiritual discipline that makes it to the Ten Commandments. God commanded us to Sabbath. And that's countercultural because we need all seven days plus one more to get stuff done. But I'm telling you, it's life changing and I'm not good at it. But the once in a blue moon when I do it, I'm like, there he is. <laughs> I feel him again. I see him again. Prayer. Create rhythms of prayer in your daily life. Once you get rid of that news app, <laughs> the 15 minutes you would normally spend checking updates, you can sit still and pray. Come to prayer room. We've been doing this since the beginning of the year, I think. I think it's when we started doing it. But prayer room is, it's uncomfortable. Can I be honest? It's two hours, we just sit in here and usually there's like five or six people and there's no agenda to that. There's not many places in church environment where we have no agenda, no one's getting up to sing. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but it's not the goal, we don't really know. You're just sitting and it's uncomfortable. But I have become such a different person since trying to make these. I'm telling you, it's that rhythm of just pausing. He said, sit, be still and know that I am God. We've got to do prayer. Meditate on scripture before you go to bed instead of that, you know, new episode of whatever. Spend 10 minutes in silence. Like I have this little app on my phone and it alerts me twice a day. 
and it's called the Pause app. And like, if you spent any amount of time with me, I've probably talked to you about it so many times. It's just a reminder. I can choose one minute, three minute, five minute, whatever I have. It's just a minute to sit still and just breathe in the Lord and remind myself of what's important. It allows me to sift through things. So silence, sit, sit in it every now and then. Have dinners with your people and talk about him, okay? That's what community's for. Find your own rules and implement them. Ask the Lord. Ask people you look up to that you're like, they're spiritually healthy. What are you doing? Copy it, copy it. Last thing, I promise. I know I've said that four times. This is what I've noticed. And this has just been in my own personal journey. I've noticed this, that as I try to do these things more and more in my life, all of the negative emotions come up first, okay? The anxiousness as I sit still, because I'm so used to not, and I just need something to do or something to think about. Anxiousness comes with that. Restlessness as I'm bored. Who remembers what boredom is? You know, like forcing myself to make space because everything in me is trying not to do that. So give yourself grace as we do this. Uh, it's a detox. So it takes a little bit of practice. They're called spiritual practices, okay? John Ortberg, who's another uh, author, he's still alive, he's still doing great. Um, he, he had a quote and he teaches a lot about being unhurried and his mentor was Dallas Willard, but he said this, to choose to live an unhurried life in our day is somewhat like taking a vow of poverty in earlier centuries. It's not easy, but it's what's needed right now. I can promise you, Jesus does promise you that this is the way of the kingdom. This is the life overflowing. It's better if we'll just take his invitation. This is hard, but he's with you. If we choose to live unhurried and engage Jesus for deep spiritual transformation, not just us, but if the church, not just our church, but if the church, and if it has to start with us, then let it start with us, it will be noticeable. As culture gets busier and busier running all over the place, at the speed of life, the church will become a place of, for people, a place of deep rest for worn out souls who don't yet know who Jesus is. Okay, we'll stop there for today. You feel good? Can we do this? Come on. Next week is Easter. Don't forget, what times are the services? Awesome. Love you guys. Be blessed as you go throughout your week. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about The Dwelling, visit thedwellingchurch.org.